welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Matthew 22 today, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles. So a few years ago, I was dating this really pretty girl named, it was Jessica, I'm not going to call any ex-girlfriend pretty, I was dating this really pretty girl named Jessica, and we had been dating for a year, and you know, like the one year anniversary, like you've, you've got to slay this, right? I like this girl, I've got to do something special. And so I came up with this idea that I was going to take her on a surprise date to Memphis, and I had all kinds of things planned, that's not really important, but what is important is I called her dad, and her dad has this really awesome Mustang convertible. It was blue and we're going to take this Mustang and we're going to cruise around with the top down in Memphis. That's going to be part of our day. And so as we go to Memphis and we're done, it's late at night, it's about 10 o'clock, we're driving back top up on the Mustang. It was kind of cold that night so that kind of run that part. We come through one of those little speed trap towns there on the way to Memphis. You guys, everybody's smiling. Everybody knows you don't speed through those towns on the way to Memphis. And as we're coming through there, a police officer whips out behind me and I noticed he was following me real close so I thought this guy, he's checking us out. I knew I hadn't stolen anything. I knew that the car was, you know, there was nothing wrong with the car and I knew that I wasn't speeding so I wasn't really worried but I was very shocked when he turned those blue lights on and pulled me over. I thought that I might have went half a mile over but it wasn't a big deal. And so as I stood there or sat there and waited on him, I rolled down the window. We're trying to find driver's licenses. It's not my car so we're trying to figure out where the insurance and stuff is. He comes up to the door and he says, hey, just hang on a second. I think you're good. And he said, gets on his radio and goes, can you repeat that? And dispatch comes on there and goes, yes, the tags, and it rattled off the numbers, belong to a 1982 gray GMC Chevy pick, or GMC pickup truck. And he looks me dead in the eye, gets down on my level, and he goes, can you explain that? I said, no, this is a 2005 Ford Mustang. I can't explain why the tags are there. And I was trying to explain to him that it's not my car, but that I know that it's legal, that there's a mistake. And I said, sir, this is not my car. This is her dad's car. And I was trying to give him the whole story. And he leans down a little farther and looks at her and goes, can you explain that? Freaked my wife out, or my, my girlfriend at that time, scared her to death. And she goes, no, I can't explain that. I said, sir, the car is legal, I guarantee. And he says, all right, let me check something out. And, and he was serious. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. And it dawned on me. I'm in a car that doesn't belong to me with license plates that don't belong to the car. And I don't know if this is how it works, but I was fairly convinced that this police officer thought I stole this car. And so now I'm freaking out. Jessica is very upset and we're just, we're not having a good date night. It ran the whole like one year anniversary for us. It's a wonder our relationships made it this long. Anyway, he comes back up there and he goes, look, we've got some new people at dispatch. They entered the numbers wrong and they had the wrong license place. He said, I'm really sorry. Have a good night. And he walked off and I'm like, you know, could you give me a hug or something? This was traumatic for me. Like this was a big deal. But what happened that night, and I don't know if it was at dispatch, I don't know if it was the police officer's fault, I don't know what happened, but somebody misinterpreted the words and the letters, or the numbers and the letters, on that license plate, and it gave them a false ideal of who me and my, at the time, girlfriend was. We, we are in a series called Going Through the Motions, and Jesus is having a discussion with a new group of people called the Sadducees here in Matthew 22, and we're going to see that they've got the same thing. They have the letters and the numbers in front of them with the scripture, but as they read it, they come up with some kind of a misinterpretation of what it says that gives them a misinterpretation of who God is. So let's read here in 20, uh, chapter 22. We're going to start at verse 23. 
the same day, so this is that same conversation that's been going on, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there was with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had died, married a wife, deceased, and, have, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing scriptures, nor the power of God. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back there. So first it introduces to us this group of people called the Sadducees. And we learned last week about the Pharisees. And a lot of times you'll hear in the Bible, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, like they go hand in hand. And this was, for our purposes, we'll call them a denomination of Jews, a different train of belief that existed in Israel at this time. The Sadducees had some relatively odd beliefs as far as um, how they viewed the Bible. Number one, they only believed in the Torah. At this time, the Jews had what we now consider the entire Old Testament at their disposal as God's holy word, as scripture. But the Sadducees denied that all of this Bible, all of what we consider the Old Testament, was God's word except for the first five books. That's what the Torah is. So they didn't read the whole scripture. They, they had a little bit of a misunderstanding of what scripture was. And because they only read the first five books of the Bible, and they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, they came up with some really out there beliefs. Like number one, they don't believe in angels. Anything supernatural was off the ticket for them. There's no angels. But the biggest thing they had a problem with was their understanding of the afterlife. What, what happens to a human soul when we pass away today? And so when people talked of this concept of a resurrection, of a last day, of the end times, when, when we will be raised from the dead, when our souls and our lives go on forever, the Sadducees said, ah, that's not in our five books of the Bible. And so they had come up with this question that I'm sure they ask a lot of people, and they ask it to Jesus and said, okay, here's what we've got. A man falls in love and he gets married. And he and his wife, they have no children, and having no children, the man passes away. Now, what we need to understand is that this time, lineage was very, very important to people in Israel. It was all about what's going to carry on after you're gone. Will your children and your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on, how long will your lineage go? And so this is a man's worst nightmare, to die not having a son to carry his name. And at this time, lineage was carried down through the male. Much like today, if um, Jessica and I don't have any more kids, when Oakley grows up and she gets married and she will no longer be a Coates, my lineage will die because there will be nobody to carry on the Coates name. And she will carry on, and her children will carry on the name of whoever her husband was. It's the same thing here. And so this man has no children and he dies and he has no lineage. Now, because this was such a big deal, in Deuteronomy, there is a passage that um, tells you what happens. If, if a man dies after being married, having no male children, his brother is responsible to marry his wife, to marry the widow, and to have children with her that will be raised as the children in the lineage of the first brother who passed away. Is everybody with me? It's like if I died, my brother has to marry Jessica. Uh, and I don't know which one of them to feel sorry for. Pro probably Jessica, if I'm being honest. He doesn't watch my sermon, so I can make fun of him a little bit. So the, the Pharisees come up and they say, okay, we've got this thing. This is called a Leverite marriage. It comes from the word Lever, which is brother-in-law. In this example, he says, we've got seven brothers, and the first one dies, and the second one marries the wife, and the second one dies, and the third one marries the wife. And he goes all the way down to seven. It's like that old movie, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Y'all ever seen that? 
Never mind, I'll skip. Oh, some of you have. Okay, I'll go with it. Well, this is one bride for seven brothers. And I think it would actually make a better movie because that is drama. Can you imagine being the sixth brother? Every one of my brothers that has married this woman has died, and I'm next. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so the Pharisees come up with this completely hypothetical situation. This is this thing that it, it hasn't happened, but it could. And so they say, okay, Jesus, after this, they all die. The wife dies if there is an afterlife. If there is, there is a resurrection, which one will be married to her? Because they all had God-sanctioned marriages in marrying this lady. It was all you know, part of God's design. So who is going to be her husband in heaven? And they think they've got Jesus. It's one of those questions that it really serves no purpose, but you can't answer it. There's no right way to answer that. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Kids will ask you these questions. Well, if God can do anything, can he build something so big that even he can't move it? It doesn't matter. You know, it does not matter. But it's one of those type of questions. And they think they have Jesus tied up where he cannot answer this, that there's no right answer, and they think, we're going to make Jesus look bad. Now, Jesus is going to shed some light on several things. We're not going to focus on them. Number one, marriage is an earthly institution. It ends with death. And so there is no marriage once we leave here. I believe we will know our spouses, and maybe I just believe that because I want to. But there is no marriage in heaven. It's why we say, till death do us part. Secondly, he sheds some light on there is, in fact, an afterlife that goes past this. But most of importantly, Jesus identifies what's wrong with the Sadducees' heart and what's wrong with their theology. And as we went through this, we're continually asking ourselves, are we like these religious leaders who challenge Jesus? Do we have the same understanding that they do? See, the Sadducees were told that you do err. Jesus said, you're mistaken. You're wrong. You, you don't quite understand what you're saying. You don't have a depth of knowledge in this particular scripture. Now, that's a big claim because the Sadducees are not only the religious elite, they're the elite class in Israel. Sadducees were the wealthy, um, the wealthy merchants, the people with lots of money. They would have had the best education. And maybe kind of like a modern-day American politician, they entered into the religion aspect of it for the sake of getting more power because the religion and politics were intertwined in Israel. And so to tell these people who were among the most educated, the smartest, whose life and job was literally religion, that they misunderstand Scripture, that's a big claim coming from, from Jesus. That's something that, that we wouldn't say to very many people. And that leads us to this truth. is that the Sadducees, who could probably quote most of the Scripture, they found this weird, obscure verse and used it to make an argument for their theology. We know they know Scripture, but Jesus says, you don't know Scripture. So how do we remedy those two things? How can you know it and not know it? Well, this is not going to clear it up. Our first take-home truth this morning is that we can know scriptures without knowing scripture. We can know scriptures without knowing scripture. Now, I know what you're doing. You're looking at me confused like, Brian, that's not even possible. It's like this. Have you ever been in a conversation where they're like, hey, do you know John whatever, John Coates? I'm like, yeah, I know John. I went to high school with John. I, I saw he's got a new truck. I saw him driving down the road the other day. And they begin to have this discussion with you about John and about his life and where he works. And all of a sudden you realize... I don't really know John. Like, I, I know what he looks like. I know what his name is. And I know that there's a person I can identify as John. 
but I know nothing about his personal life. We're not, we're not friends. I don't really, I wouldn't even say hi to him when we were in Walmart. You guys know the thing you do when you see somebody you know, but they're not really a friend in Walmart. Hey, you know, that, that kind of thing. Have you ever been in that situation? Well, that's what the Sadducees have going on with Scripture. They can identify the Scripture, but they can't identify how to apply it. They have, they have a knowledge of what's in the Bible, but they don't have a knowledge of what it means. And so we can know Scriptures without actually knowing Scripture. Now, as we look at this, I think this is a misunderstanding, and this is something that applies to Christians today, maybe more than anything else we have a problem with, is we know Scripture, but we don't know Scripture. We don't know the entirety of Scripture and how it all connects together. In 2009, in the college national championship, there was a quarterback from Florida named Tim Tebow. You guys know Tebow? Man, I love me some Tebow. And Tim Tebow is a dedicated Christian. He took on his on his eye, eyeliner, let's make up, and on his eye black, whatever it was, and he wrote the words or the, the scripture reference, John 3.16, as he went and played on the biggest stage in college football because he wanted to honor God, like we talked about earlier, glorify God in everything that he does. Google released the stats the next day, and that four-hour game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16 to figure out what it means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, that's a wonderful story, but what is sad about that is that you could find 94 million people watching one football game that didn't know John 3.16 by heart. We kind of know that. And since that time, it's been kind of popular for athletes to come up with a verse that's like their life verse. And you see a lot of athletes do that now, write, write a verse reference or put it on, on something that they wear. But what has happened is our verses have changed. John 3.16, what do you say, Brother Danny? You could save the whole world with that verse, couldn't you? John 3.16 is something that directs people to Jesus. But you know what verse pops up the most now? Philippians 4.13. For I can do all things through God who strengthens me, or through Christ who strengthens me. You guys know that verse, right? We, we know that verse. People can identify that verse. People who have never stepped in church can identify that verse because it is becoming so popular in our culture. You'll see athletes, and they're going to the NBA finals, and what do you think? Are you going to win? Man, I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what the verse means. There's a depth of knowledge of knowing the scripture, but they don't know what it means. See, the book of Philippians was written by a man in prison, possibly awaiting execution. And that what that verse means is I can deal with persecution. I can deal with being in prison. I can deal with losing my life because my God is with me and I have the strength to go wherever he calls me. It has nothing to do with winning a sports game. It has nothing to do with acing a test that you didn't study for in high school or college. It has nothing to do with just whatever you know hobby we have. We know the scripture, but we don't know it. I've got another example, a picture up here on the screen. This is, this is one of my favorites. This picture has been floating around the internet for quite a while. You guys know those flip calendars, like it has one day every day that you flip it over, and every day has a different one. I've got one on my desk at school that is a... Um, um uh, this day in history, it tells you big events from history for this day. Thank you, Ms. Glenita, for that. This one is an encouraging Bible verse of the day. And every day there's an encouraging Bible verse. And, and I love this verse. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Man, that's something you could preach a message on, right? If all we have to do is worship, you can have it all. It's encouraging until you figure out who said it. You guys know who said this verse? This is what Satan said to Jesus. Jesus. 
when he was tempting him before Jesus started his earthly ministry. You take that one verse out of context and it sounds really nice. You put it in context in the whole scripture and you're like, ooh, I don't want, I don't want that on my desk. That's, that's not an encouraging. This is put together by someone who knows scripture but they don't know scripture because even if you didn't know what story this came out of, you ought to know that this is not uh, in line with everything else that the Bible teaches. So we have all of these different examples of how we can know scripture but we don't necessarily know scripture and here is the danger in that and in today's world and we as Christians we look for verses that encourage us and lift us up and we ignore the ones that challenge us. This is one of the biggest problems facing the church is we cherry pick which parts of the scriptures. We don't say the others aren't scripture. We cherry pick which parts of the scriptures we like, which ones we don't like and it causes us to have an incomplete understanding of the gospel much like the Pharisees chose I'm sorry the Sadducees chose only the Torah as their scripture we have that same problem and there is a huge danger in not understanding this 2 Timothy 1.13 says this it says hold fast to the form of hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me the, the form some translations say hold fast to the pattern of sound words there, there is um, directions for us in the Bible that say make sure that you are putting this in context make sure that if something seems inconsistent with the rest of scripture which you should also know ignore it hold fast to the form of what the whole scripture is and so this is why when we say we must study the word of God this is what we mean I don't care how many Bible verses you can quote from memory I care that you can understand them and apply them to your life because here is the danger of this Jesus did not continue he said you don't understand you err you misunderstand you don't know scripture and then he continues nor the power of God see the Pharisees I keep saying Pharisees the Sadducees had taken this these scriptures and they had tied them up and what they had done is they had put God in a nice little box like this is the power of God it sits in here he's not raising people from the dead he's not doing anything miraculous in the world he's not with us all the time they don't believe any of those things and so they put God in a box <clears throat> which leads us to point number two we can put God in a box we can do the exact same thing if the Sadducees picked their scripture and they developed their theology from their scripture we can do the same thing and if we pick only Bible verses that feel good if we pick only the parts of scripture we like guess what our faith and our religion becomes becomes a religion of us only serving because we think God serves us which is not what we are called to do so we still put God in a box today and it said that they didn't understand his power and I think that we often don't understand his power now power is just simply the ability to influence something and so when the Sadducees put God in a box they said God doesn't have the ability to affect whether we live or die after our physical death they said God doesn't have the power to make other spiritual beings than what we can observe that's what the Sadducees were saying and I wonder what kind of doctrinal and theological boxes do we put God in today was probably hundreds thousands of them and we're going to go through every last one of them before we leave at six o'clock to nine not really but i think the biggest one is we put god in a box where we say god is here to serve me that, that god is here to help me in my life instead of saying that i am here to serve god it, it's a lot like this 
Our life is made up of different boxes that we have. We have a box of finances. Like this is my financial state. This is this is who I am. This is how much money I make. And that actually puts us in like a class. I'm either wealthy or I'm poor. I'm middle class. I'm upper middle class. I'm lower middle class. We have our box of finances. We have our box of our career. I am what I do. When people ask you, what do you do? You say, I am a teacher. I am a preacher. I am a plumber. I am, I am, I am. And we identify ourselves by our career and the power that we can get out of that and where our career will take us. Sometimes part of who we are is our box of family. I identify myself as a mother, as a father, as a grandparent, as a brother, as a sister, as a child. And so we start to have our identity tied up in these things that mean nothing. Then sometimes we can be identified by our hobbies. I'm a big college football fan. I love the Razorbacks, but I'm trying my best to not let them be who I am. And so many people in this world, what we like to do, what we find entertainment in, that becomes who they are. That's part of them. And so what we have is a picture of us. All of these different boxes of different things that make us up, make up us. But for most of us that are here today anyway, we come to a point where we realize there's something missing in the middle. So something doesn't quite fit in. There's a box that's not quite complete. And then we hear the gospel that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we all need a savior. And so we come up with this new box is, you know what? I'm gonna give my life to Christ and I'm gonna add this to my life, my relationship with God. It is something that I add to it. But the problem is, is even true believers sometimes put God in a box in the way that we allow him to have power and influence in our life. See, our box here can be used for a lot of different reasons. Like, I can get my, my relationship with God box out on Sunday morning. I lay the hobbies aside. I'm at church. I'm going to get my church clothes on. I'm going to get my church speak on. I'm going to talk to other Christians. And, and I've got my relationship with God box in. Great message, Brother Brian. Great worship, Brother Danny. Have a great week. And then I go home and I just put my box back on the shelf with everything else. And I pick up another box. I see somebody in church and I think, oh, I better get my, I better, or somebody from church in a grocery store. I better get my relationship with God box on, out. I better start acting like a Christian now. And so I get it out and, and I pull out of it. Maybe I only pull this box out when I'm in trouble and it's time to pray. You know, God, I know I haven't prayed in at least 928 days, but today I'm having some issues and so I've got my relationship with God box out and I'm praying. The problem with this is as we limit God's power and influence in our lives, it limits our ability to grow. And they said the alligator feeding will begin in five minutes downstairs. And I looked at Jessica and I said, alligators? <laughs> Let's go. So we go downstairs and there's this room filled with 40 kids and me. I'm in the middle. I'm like, feed the alligators. And up at the front of, the, up at the front of this room was this aquarium, maybe 10 or 15 foot wide, floor to ceiling. And in it were these little piddly, disappointing two and a half foot alligators. Like they, they were feeding these alligators mice. And I was hoping that we would get like the 10 foot alligator they're throwing chickens at and it like snaps at the trainer. Like that's what I was seeing, like crocodile Dundee or something like that. But we went down there and I learned something interesting about alligators in this place. As they fed them, I'm looking at this and thinking, those things get bigger than that. The American alligator gets between 12 to 15 feet full grown. And these little two and a half foot alligators are going to outgrow this little enclosure one of these days. And as they were feeding them, they said that reptiles have this unique ability to adapt to their surroundings. An alligator will not grow bigger than the environment it's in. So even though these alligators had the uh, possibility of growing 12 to 15 feet, as long as they were in that box, they would never grow bigger than they were at that moment. 
no matter what. And that is what we do when we put God in a box that we take out sometimes. We put ourselves in a spiritual environment where we cannot grow when we only have Him in this box. What shocked me more than the alligators only growing to a certain size in that aquarium was when they said, but if we took these alligators today, they may be two and a half foot long for 10 or 20 years, but if we throw them in the Arkansas River, they will immediately start growing again and they can reach their full potential. And that's what I think that we as Christians need to assess in our lives. Is it time for us to widen our environment? Is it time for us to get rid of the little box and get God a bigger box? Now, my relationship with God is just a little bit bigger. And instead of being a box we add to our life, our relationship with God is a box that we put our life into. And so my family is no longer dictated, how I relate to my family is no longer dictated on whether or not I like them at this exact moment. It's dictated by the Word of God and how the Bible tells me to behave as a spouse and as a parent and as a child. And so now... How I interact with my family falls into the box of my relationship with God. What, what about my hobbies? What about my hobbies? Suddenly, my hobbies aren't necessarily about just what makes me happy. Now I look in the Bible and there are certain things that God says, this, this isn't for you. This isn't a place that you should be. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, Christians need to stop being entertained by the sins God or Jesus Christ came here and died for. And so I put my hobbies in my relationship with God box. What about my career? This is the place where I'm going to get power and influence. This is the place where I'm going to make something out of myself. This is the place where I'm going to be somebody. But I take it and I put it in my relationship with God box. And now my career and the place that I work is now about do I, it's my mission field. My finances. When I put this in my relationship with God box, when I put this in there, my view of my finances changes when I allow God power and influence over everything. It's no longer look what I earned. It's look what God blessed me with. And because of that, the finances are no longer for me. They're God's finances. And it makes it easy when I allowed God to have power of influence over this and I say he blessed me with this. It makes it easy for me to respond to biblical commands to tithe. It makes it easy for me to say I had 100 bucks set aside to go out with my family this weekend and I was going to eat a really big steak. But you know what? I know a family in need so we're not going out this week and have to wait till next week because I'm giving it to someone else. And so we put this in our relationship with God box. Now this is like a puzzle. I had this all fitting earlier, but it's not going to now. So we put that in there. And then last, last is our identity. Our identity is often found in what we do, how much money we make, what people think of us. So many things that they're just not going to matter. But the Bible teaches us that our identity is to be found in Christ. And so when we take our identity and we give our identity to God, it's not going to fit in there, but we put that in our relationship with God box, suddenly that encompasses everything in our life and we allow Him to have that power in us. Now I want you to look at this as, as just a side note. When I put my life into this relationship with God box, what do you see? You don't see somebody's individual identity. 
You don't see somebody's financial situation when they have all of their priorities straight and everything in their my relationship with God box. You don't see whether they have lots of money, little money. You don't see what career they're in. What people see when they see somebody who allows God influence over their entire life is they see your relationship with God. Now, if you want to ask yourself, what kind of box do you have? Do you have the little box that you take out every once in a while or you have the big box? Ask yourself this. How do people that know you outside of church see you? Do they see you by your hobbies and by your identity and by your career and by your financial status? Or do they see you by your relationship with God? And that'll give you your answer. See, the Sadducees didn't want God to have this kind of influence in the world, so they put him in a box. And even though we might not put him in a box that says that he can't raise people to dead, we might not put him in a box that says that he can't have angels or whatever these Sadducees were coming up with, we still do the same thing that they do with the same heart. We limit the power of God and the influence in his life or in our life. Now, it's only when we have all the aspects of our life tucked neatly in that box that we're living the way that God has called us to live. It's the only time. Sadducees couldn't accept this, so that's why they asked him this question. Let's continue on in our scripture down to verse 33. So starting at 29, I'm going to read that again. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are angels of God, are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. So the Sadducees come to him and they ask him this question. And Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. You don't understand the scripture. You don't understand the power of God. And he sets them straight several times. He said, number one, marriage is an earthly institution governed by heaven. It's not anything that's going to last past your death. So he said, first off, your question is stupid, is what he was telling them. It, it doesn't quite matter because you don't actually know the scriptures. Secondly, he tells them, I love this with Jesus. It's like he threw in a little remark. He goes, when you're in heaven, you're just like those angels that are in heaven. And he said this to people who didn't believe in angels. But then he drops them big on them. He said, how did God say, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? These are, are the founding fathers of Judaism. These are the people that God established his covenant with first and established his covenant with through. How can God take someone who has been dead hundreds of years and speak of them in the present and saying, I am their God? How is that possible if they cease to exist at death? If there's not life after we have a physical death? He said it's not possible. And so we come to this third take-home truth is, is Jesus wants his influence in you to last forever. Jesus wants his influence in you to last forever. This is good and well while we're here, but we're going to spend a lot more time somewhere else one of these days than we are here on earth. When we leave here, we've got eternity to think about. And Jesus wants us to know he wants to be our God today over every aspect of our life. And the moment when we take our last breath, he wants to be our God in that moment and for eternity past that. And there's only one thing that stands in the way. Only one thing that stands in the way. It's called sin. It's the mistakes we made and the disobedience that we, that we give to God when he commands us to do something. And so Jesus, knowing that sin stood in the way of him being our God forever, of us being influenced by him for eternity, he came here and he died on a cross to get rid of that obstacle because he wants us that badly. If we could have the musicians, please. This morning, we've got to ask ourselves a couple of things. Number one, is, is God going to be my God when I draw my last breath? 
There, there's an entire, entire millions of years to come that we will be existent through. And God made it so easy for us to come spend it with him. All we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Believe he is who he said he is. Believe he did what he said he did. And believe he will do what he says he will do. And that is it. It's called faith. And if we want to have that influence or him to be our God forever, we have to come to that moment of faith. And if you've come to that moment, let me ask you this question. Have you given God influence over all parts of your life? Or are you just waiting, just hoping that when you die, you'll get to let him be your God then?